Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Friday, November 12th. Rainy morning here, Hoboken, New Jersey. Hope everyone is doing well. Coming up today on the podcast is reactions to week two of the college football playoff rankings. Playoff committee released their second batch of rankings on Tuesday night. Again, a lot of things that make sense, some things that don't make any sense. And then at the end, we will have our weekly succession segment. My buddy J.R. Bascom talking about season three, episode four, where the Roys, the Roys are out on this private island talking to Adrian Brody and a lot to, to break down there. The the family issues just, just continue every week. So really excited for that. That'll be coming up later on the podcast. But first, the college football playoff rankings. Last week talked about a lot about how the games have to matter. That what the committee seemingly is doing is they have to put in the four best teams, right? Or or the four most worthy teams. What whatever you may think that their role is they have to choose the four teams who will play for the national championship and there are only so many teams that can win a championship in any sport and really compete for we talk about in the nba all the time that coming into a season most most years if you have five teams that start the year with a legitimate chance to win the championship. Now, injuries always happen and, th- and things like that, but you come into the season and you say, these five teams are, they're the only ones who can actually win the title. And we see that with college football as well, that, that coming into a year, there's 100 teams that play FBS football. There's the Power Five schools, the Group of Five schools. In that group, there are really only, you could talk about 10 to 15 teams that can really compete for a playoff spot coming into the season. And then really of that group, maybe five to eight, depending on the season, who could really compete for the national championship. And one of the things we love about this sport is the unpredictability, the chaos about how anybody can win on any given day. And that has proven to be true over the years, that college football, no matter how good, the best teams seemingly are and what Vegas may say about the betting lines are double digit underdogs can win just like Texas A&M was able to defeat Alabama this year in college station as double digit underdogs Oregon on the road at Ohio State double digit underdog they win that game but what the playoff committee has struggled with is sometimes it seems like the the games that are being played don't necessarily matter for some teams, but they matter a lot more for other teams. And so the, the committee has in their second week of rankings, the top four has changed as Michigan state fell last week. They Michigan state loses to, to Purdue. The top four is Georgia one, Alabama two, Oregon three, Ohio State four. Oregon and Ohio State move up one spot, and that makes sense. It fits with Oregon defeated Ohio State in their head-to-head matchup. Oregon that therefore should be ranked above Ohio State, even though Oregon lost to Stanford, which is which is a tough loss for them. And maybe as we go further, 
a tougher thing for them to uh, defend on their resume if some teams stay undefeated or, you know, certain games happen and in the if certain games happen in in the Big 12 or the Big 10. And then number five is Cincinnati. They move move up one spot. Cincinnati, they they won last week. It wasn't pretty, but they get the W. They're still nine and zero, and now they're fifth. Now here's where it doesn't make much sense. Here's here's where here's where the committee has has lost some some folks this this week is they have Michigan six and Michigan State seven. And this is the exact same argument for oh, Oregon and Ohio State, which is. They played head-to-head. Michigan State won. They defeated Michigan. But Michigan State has now lost to somebody else. So, therefore, how is Michigan State ranked behind Michigan? Michigan State should be ahead of Michigan by one spot, at least, the way that Oregon and Ohio State are separated by that one spot. They're both really good football teams. And you could say, yeah, six and seven don't really matter if you just look at all oh, the because the top four only matter. But these but these spots matter in terms of the other bowl games, the other uh, former BCS bowl games like the New Year six the, the New Year six games. It's another example of the committee just thinks Michigan is better. Okay, I think Michigan is probably a little better than Michigan State too, but Michigan State beat Michigan. Like, I probably think right now Ohio State's probably a little better than Oregon, but Oregon beat Ohio State, so therefore the head-to-head matchup has to matter in where they rank these teams. And it's just an example of this committee operates in this clouded ambiguity of these 13 people, and they just say, yeah, you know, this is just our opinion, and, and from from what we've seen, this this is how we, we've, we've ranked them. Because... It doesn't make much sense in terms of consistency across the board and do head-to-head matchups matter. Now, not saying that Texas A&M should be ranked ahead of Alabama. I think that there is a difference there, especially Texas A&M being a two-loss team versus Alabama being a one-loss team. But when you have these two teams that have played against each other and have the same record, there has to be a little more consistency in what the committee does about head-to-head matchups. And then we look at number eight, Oklahoma, 9-0, and uh, ranked number eighth in, in the country. Oklahoma is going to cause problems for this committee because if they win this week and they have a big game against uh, Baylor, away at Baylor, who's ranked 13th, if Oklahoma wins this game, that is a top 25 win, that is a win, that is a resume win that you could say they are now 10 and 0 and they need to be ranked ahead of one of these Big 10 teams that they are no longer just the eighth best team in the country because yes they they started slow and um they had the quarterback issues with Spencer Rattler and now they're starting Caleb Williams and they may not have as much talent but what has been proven over the years is undefeated Power Five champions have made have made the playoff every single time, and so not only have they made the playoff every single time, are we really going to have Oklahoma ten and zero potentially 
going undefeated, winning the the Big 12. Now they do have to play at Oklahoma State last game of the season. But if they're really undefeated, 10-0, 11-0 going into that game, are they still going to be ranked 8th or 7th? Now, yes, the Big 10 teams will clear each other out as Michigan uh, plays Ohio State, as Ohio State plays Michigan State, as the Big 10 gauntlet continues. We'll get some more clarity, but Oklahoma is going to is in my opinion going to rise up these these rankings because I think that Caleb Williams is is very good. Yes, they struggled with with Kansas, but that seems like just the classic game of those kids on Oklahoma have never had to tra- tra- take Kansas seriously. They're on the road, and they probably just said, "Hey, Kansas isn't very good. We don't need to play that hard." And they had a wake up call, and. They go play Texas A&M, or sorry, Tech, Texas Tech. They put up 52 on a win, 52-21. That seemed like the like just like the classic. You play down to someone against Kansas. Now you could say that that's not a great sign for them as a team. But you know these are college kids. Sometimes uh, weird things happen, and they're not super consistent. But looking forward, Notre Dame being at number nine. N- Notre Dame now has will not make the playoff because they are not undefeated as a football independent that's kind of how you have to make it but if they keep winning games like they just beat navy last week to go to eight and one if they keep winning games like if they beat virginia if they beat georgia tech if they beat stanford cincinnati's best win of the season and potentially the best win for any of these teams in the top 10 um is over notre dame on the road because oregon's win over ohio state is probably the best win than the cincinnati win over Notre Dame on the road now Oregon beat Stanford and so if you go by the transitive property if if or if sorry if Stanford beat Oregon and Cincinnati beat and sorry if Stanford beat Oregon and Notre Dame beat Stanford and or and and Notre Dame beat Stanford and Cincinnati beat Notre Dame then therefore Cincinnati should beat Oregon that's going to be a take after this, the way that UCF, which I love, claimed themselves to be national champions way back in the day of like three years ago, where that's going to be a take. That's going to be a legit take if if that plays out. But going ahead, go, going forward is when, when you look at these rankings, a lot of three loss teams in there at the end. Yes, UTSA is in there, 9-0, San Diego State. We do have some group of five teams in there, but Cincinnati, Cincinnati is... They are at risk of somehow not making the playoff. I think that they should be in the playoff, and I've defended that many, many times and will will continue to, but they have a big game this week against South Florida, um, which is a game that they need to win, and they need to win with with margin of victory on the road. That will be a big game because everyone else isn't really playing anyone that good. Yeah, Michigan's on the road at Penn State. That could be a, a game that... That trips them up, but I think Michigan, just the way that they can run the ball, really this Oklahoma-Baylor game is really interesting. Um, and then just just lo- looking ahead, this Purdue team is playing Ohio State. And Ohio State is very good. Their offense is really, really good. They figured it out. C.J. Stroud, their quarterback, has figured it out. But Purdue becomes a different team when they're playing a team that's ranked in the top five versus a team that's not in the top five. And so Purdue rises to, to the level of who they're playing. Yes, they are at Ohio State, but this could be a, a tough game for both his teams. It looks like 
weather-wise, that, that there may be some rain in the forecast. You never know how, how that affects things. But if Purdue beats Ohio State, Ohio State is out. They are a two-loss team. They're out. Yes, they may still win the Big Ten, but as a two-loss team, they're out. And now we're looking at Purdue. Is Purdue a top-10 team? Like, what? And just craziness. And then Texas A&M, Ole, Ole Miss at 7 o'clock, which is a really, really interesting game as these are both two-loss teams. Texas A&M beat Bama. Bama crushed Ole Miss. Heisman game for for Matt Corral to keep putting up stats, but an interesting week in college football. These These rankings, again, what we are seeing is consistently is some of these games matter for, for some teams, like Cincinnati not winning by enough keeps them out of the playoff. But the Michigan State win over Michigan doesn't seem to count for them. Just really just a lot of inconsistency from the playoff committee, which is really, really frustrating. For viewers, as it keeps happening now, the answer is just go to eight. Yes, eight is the answer, and hopefully will happen soon. But until then, these rankings are just going to keep frustrating the daylights out of college football fans who feel like for their team the games don't matter and the rankings are predetermined whether that's true or not that's how people feel coming up next is my conversation with my friend Jared Bascom on this week's episode of Succession All right, joining me now for our weekly succession recap, my friend, J.R. Bascom. He was out on an island with Adrian Brody and his many jackets and, and hats and his love of walks, but now he is back to, to report on the Roy's adventure together. Logan and Kendall back together. J.R., it's great to have you back on. What was your takeaways from seeing Logan and Kendall sharing the screen again for the first time in season three? Dave, always great to be on. Love our weekly secession recaps. It was fascinating watching them. I, I jumped between this is the most awkward father-son interaction and Luke and Darth Vader doesn't even <laughs> compare to it, to is Logan being sincere? I mean, he's a master manipulator and he plays mind games with his kids more than parents do on Christmas when they tell their kids Santa Claus is real. So I was honestly at the end thinking that they were on the same page. They just got a big win. They were holding off Sandy and Stewie. They'd convinced the big investor not to go the other way. And then it just kind of fell apart in large part. And like we've seen before, due to Logan's stubbornness. I mean, I, I think there was an olive branch extended. I don't know how sincere it was. But once Logan croaked and not croaked, but metaphorically croaked, I, I, I think it puts another damper on their relationship again. It was it was upward trending and now we're riding the roller coaster back down. Yeah, so you know, Adrian Brody's character, Josh, I'm pretty sure his name was, he owns four percent of Waystar Waystar. Um He's deciding who he's going to back in this proxy fight. And what's really interesting is so far this whole season has been about Kendall versus Logan, right? But overarching is in order for one of them to have the company, they need the, – the Roy family needs Waystar, right? So they need to they need to beat Sandy and Stewie almost the way, you know, in Game of Thrones where they all had to come together to beat the White Walkers and then they could figure out who would get the Iron Throne. 
you know, that was sort of like the premise was like Kendall and Logan both have this shared goal of they both want Waystar for themselves. And the only way to defeat their first primary enemy is to somehow come together, or at least with that facade of saving the company from these outsiders. And what was really interesting is Logan, yes, you're right, his his health scare did not help with Josh. He kind of freaked him out. But also Logan's struggling to breathe. You know, clearly something is up. And Kendall's like, let's sign a deal sheet, man. You know, let's, you know, <laughs> you're you're with us. And so Josh, like, your dad is we don't know what's happening. He could be dying and you're ready to talk business right now. They both kind of blew it. And and what you talked about about the awkwardness too of the way that those three actors because you know adrian brody just a best actor oscar winner coming in for a guest star he would talk to them and then he would go off and, and deal with whatever right kind of all over the place and then kendall and logan would just sit there in silence and it was mesmerizing to just you could feel the the hatred between them and as much as kendall loves his dad in a way that he loves or he needs his dad's love in a way. So when his dad is talking about how they're connected, the family is connected and Kendall's the smartest of them all. And it may be him. That's like a double knife to the heart of Kendall because he knows his dad is making it all up. Like he knows that it's not true. And he so desperately craves that. And he knows that he will never get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean that, it's a constant tension back and forth of Kendall just seeking approval and Logan just giving him just enough validation to bring him back in or keep him in when he is in. But it's just, it goes back and forth. And what I'm really waiting for is just, I mean, we saw it when Kendall threw his dad under the bus. Yep. But if there's going to be a time where there's a full split, I mean, he's done just about everything you can do in a family company to break it down, and yet he still comes back to his dad. Yeah. But is this, you know, is Logan's declining health? And, and really, I mean, if Logan hadn't had his, I don't know if it's a heart attack or health scare, whatever we're calling it, if he hadn't have had that, I think Kentonville comes back into the fold. I think he comes back in. I think he falls in line and does everything his dad said in his speech between Kendall Logan and Adrian Brody of he's going to push it, he's doing what he thinks is best, and then he's going to come back into the fold. I mean, I think we see Kendall see the long game when Logan's healthy. Now Logan's not healthy. Is this the final straw that breaks the camel's back and sets him completely off? Right. Interesting. But while they were on this island, it was unclear where it was. It was just, yeah, he, he, he wants you to come to his mansion on, on his island. It was great that they just left it totally ambiguous. Of it just, it's just somewhere that's accessible yeah, by could, helicopter could, and plane, but wasn't clear where exactly it was. I could not remember if I missed where it was yeah. or if they didn't say. I mean, it, it struck me maybe Long Island, Yeah, but... You take a plane, maybe Florida, South Carolina. I don't know. It's, it, it was a it, little cold. It's intriguing. Yeah. Um, it was 
it was beautiful. But while they're while Kendall and Logan are there hashing it out, we only see in this episode what Kendall is doing right in that moment. We don't see him operating behind the scenes. He didn't leave, you know, people in charge that that we saw to to try to scheme around and to keep working um, on the whole issue with the FBI, Waystar, you know, all this stuff because Logan leaves Shiv with instructions that the, that ATN, that the news network is now going to start pressuring the president um, Mm -hmm. for his coverage. And that uh, we're going to talk about at, at the end on, or when we end with cousin Greg, but Logan talks to cousin Greg about, about his leverage. But the Shiv relationship was really interesting in this episode too, because Logan got mad at Shiv and we haven't really seen Logan get mad at Shiv that often, but Logan, Logan got mad at her, which is, which is really interesting because she, I guess, didn't do what he said, even though she did do what he said. I don't know. It was very complicated. Before I get into Shiv, we need to talk about Cousin Greg at the end, but I just want to make the note. He goes, and he probably has the option to drink, you know, three, $400 whiskey, you know, 30, 40 years old, and he gets a Coke, rum and Coke. I mean, that is just, it's it's too perfect and too spot on for Greg. Yes. I just wanted to make that point, so we bring it up later. We will. With Shiv, she really just... She just tripped over her own shoelaces. I mean, she she did what Logan said, but she didn't do it well, and, and she really, in my opinion, is just becoming unlikable. I mean, I, I like her overall. I think she's the smartest of the kids. But she really just, I mean, she came in because of nepotism, and it's clear nobody really wants anything to do with her, nor do right. they respect her. No. So it was kind of... Like Logan, I mean, he's smart. He's a he's a chess player. It's kind of like he knew she was going to fail from the start because how can you have somebody who's been in the company for what a month, maybe a week? We we really don't know. Clean up and direct people and do all these things, and she's really fallen out of grace. I mean, she did a great job in the first two seasons keeping her distance, but also you know having a few tentacles still attached to the company. And she's just, I mean, ever since she was at the dinner and was and said, you know, I'm supposed to be CEO, Yeah. she really is just, she's crashing and burning. And right. that's impressive to do when you have brothers like Roman and Kendall. Yeah, very, it's, it's a crash and burn family. And one of the funniest <laughs> and yet heartbreaking moments of, of this episode was while trying to do her ATN mission, she goes to Tom, her husband, the head of ATN, while he's g- going through pictures of prisons. Planning uh, jail time, baby. Uh, you know, when, you, when we think about what, when we first saw these two, they were planning their wedding. They were, you know, they they get engaged. They're planning their wedding. They're picking out, you know, where, where they're going to get married. And now Tom is going through a similar style book of prisons of where he will go because he's Terminal Tom. And and when and when Shiv tells him that he you know to try to talk about the ATN stuff, and when Tom says that he can't talk to her about this because of corporate governance, that was just an all timer, almost up there with their 
Tom saying that they don't that, that he doesn't want to have an unbalanced love portfolio with with her. Just one of those things that they are so not on the same page right now. And you could tell that Tom, I think Tom still loves Shiv and he wants Shiv desperately to care about him potentially going to prison. And Shiv's just like, prison's not that bad, man. It'll, it'll be fine. You know, not really believing that he's actually going to go to jail. And, and it's so Tom, I think is doing some backroom dealing. We've seen some interesting stuff with, with Greg and that I think Tom has some more tricks up his sleeve because he's not going to go to jail. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's too important to this family and the comedic relief as much as I would love Greg to go visit him in jail, like the start of season four. Um, that's a, that's a show spinoff in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of another show spinoff and another shiv task, Connor is, is on the outside looking in. He's trying to run for president still, which is one of my favorite storylines, but he's trying to get back in the fold. And, and he's realized that as much as it may have hurt when Kendall told him that he's a joke, um, that he is a joke. He, he's never had a job. And so he's trying to do something at Waystar for two or three years so that when he runs for president, he can say, well, I did do something. And Shiv proposes that he goes on like the Travel Channel or, or their Cooking Network, which a wine show, yeah, wine show, which I think would have been uh, talk about another spinoff. I think that would be great. I would love to see Connor traveling the world on these beautiful vistas, talking about wine and food while telling that Uncle Sam is taxing him too much. <laughs> it's it's it, it would truly be. HDTV's number one selling show. So, and so Shiv needs to figure some stuff out. Roman, I think, is the worst of the four kids, and he proved it again this week because we saw last week that he he took a moral stand by not signing Shiv's letter attacking Kendall, but he's finding his own attack route by bringing this homeless guy who they tattooed Kendall's initials on during his bachelor party with the pictures. Like what's Roman's angle here? Why is he being so aggressive to Kendall? We know he's a bad person, but what, but like why do this, but not sign the letter? Like this also seems really bad. Yeah. I mean, Roman's the classic case of like a golden retriever that can't, focus for more than five seconds on something i mean he there seems to be connor has a outlandish but somewhat tangible path for it i mean it's never going to happen but like he has a strategic vision shiv poorly executed but has has a plan kendall absolute wild card but in you know a strategic way he wants to be ceo of the company Roman is just, he's all over the place, Dave. He he doesn't seemingly have an endgame. I mean, he wants to be part of the company, but he clearly is in love with Jerry and with love for Jerry to be CEO. Yeah. So I think he's just, I mean, he's kind of like Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's just going to come in, stir the pot, do random crazy things, maybe end up on top, maybe end up in jail, maybe end up in Tahiti. We don't really know. But he just, I think he's just a character that right now for the rest of the season, 
he's going to be a Fairweather fan with whoever's in control in the family, but I don't think he's ever going to be the lead dog. Because he's unwilling to ever stand up to his dad, as we saw in season one with the with the proxy with the first proxy vote of of no confidence that he just gave in very very yeah. quickly to to Logan yelling at him. All right, it's time. We need to talk about Greg, cousin Wait, Greg. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because I know this Greg conversation is going to go maybe two hours, you know, maybe four. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to say one thing about Tom and Shiv. Okay, okay. I've come to the conclusion that where the family stands is represented through Tom and Shiv's relationship. And let me just unpack it for a sec. At the beginning, families, you know, in good standing, in control of the company, Tom and Shiv are planning their wedding. It's very clear that Shiv's in control. It's very clear that Tom, you know, is the happy puppy dog that's following along to this powerful woman. It's completely flip-flopped. I mean, you said it perfectly. They were planning their wedding. Now they're planning Tom's jail. Waystar was in good standing, and now they're, you know, threatening to dissolve and go into control with Sandy and Stewie, or a kid might take over. I mean, they're in disarray. And Tom and Shiv's marriage is very much like that, and you now see it because Tom, who was following along Shiv's lead, completely and unequivocally at the start of the show you know now can't talk to her because of corporate governance i mean he he really is in control more so in that relationship than i think shiv was and i think it perfectly represents the the roy family control over waystar royco you know that's a really interesting idea and premise i i agree with with a lot of it but i I do think that what Tom is doing off camera is is going to be really interesting because we know that he's talked to a lawyer. He's he's talking to to Greg about trying to figure out how Greg's playing because he knows Greg has leverage, mm-hmm. and Tom has no leverage, and he's I think now we're seeing flipped of Greg used to asking Tom for advice. Now Tom is asking Greg for help. Which is really, really interesting, and because because Greg is the star of the show, he's he's everyone's favorite character, one hundred percent. And he starts this episode with with Kendall hanging out, and then gets freaked out because Logan texts him. One didn't know Logan could text. Um, no, no, cons- I'm I'm surprised about that. Considering in last week's episode, he said that he doesn't read his email. Texting is very <laughs> similar, um, and Greg goes over to his apartment and sort of bumbles and babbles his way to not saying anything, but not asserting his leverage because he's so awkward and uncomfortable around Logan. You know, you, you mentioned the, the rum and Coke, which was an initial thing where he embarrassed himself there saying that it was, this drink was strong, but like strong, like a man. Uh, like like a man drink, and then leaving. You saying you know like the '60s were were the best of times, but not for everyone. Like he's just all he was peak, peak, Greg nervousness. But 
he's a real player. If Logan is reaching out to Greg, it's what Kendall said. He's a player. He has real mm-hmm. standing in this family, and um, it'll be really in- interesting to see how Greg uses this this leverage going forward. It, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, he we, we talked about it last time. The character arc of throwing up in a theme park suit to being the chief of staff at ATN to having leverage over Logan Roy is just, it's a phenomenal character arc for what some could say is a bumbling nincompoop. Yeah. It's, and you'll have to refresh my memory. He doesn't have uncle Ewan's controlling interest, correct? Uncle Ewan hasn't given that to him. Not, not yet. Officially, his his Not uncle still totally. still voting, but you know they're in in season two. He he could choose uh, Uncle Fun or Grandpa Grumps, and <laughs> and he chose he chose Uncle Fun, or, or at least he did right uh-huh. now. But but his grandfather is helping him legally, and uh, we'll we'll see if he sticks with his lawyer or whether he stays with the Waystar team. Um, Greg Greg can choose which side. And I think everyone is sort of figuring out that he's the most powerful because Kendall's leverage is Greg's leverage, you know? Uh-huh. And Kendall's only as powerful as long as Greg is on his side. And so we'll see what happens because Greg yeah, is all over the place. Greg is – I love how many characters just are so sporadic with what they do. I mean – you're, you're, you hit the nail on the head, Dave. Greg has leverage, and if Uncle Ewan's shares and in voting interest and control over the company somehow trickle down to Greg, that makes him not just having leverage. That makes him a player. I mean, that makes him, what, one of ten people at the seat of the table with real control. That could, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, it's a fun hypothesis. That could really shake things up i mean tom's been good to greg somewhat in like a really abusive kind of way but that opens the door for for greg not just being a player now but being a player when the show ends so heading into next week's episode we are seeing clips of a very old and ill sandy stewie and kendall trying trying to talk and this proxy fight, it, it's amazing how this proxy fight shareholder meeting can become so dramatic on TV because it's something that most people would find really, really boring potentially in, in real life. But on, on this show, they make it really, really um, exciting. So what are you looking forward to next week as all the players are again it seems like it's going to be a a big episode once again because everyone is talking they have sandy and stewie involved we saw what happened last time in the mediterranean but what what are sort of your expectations or predictions for next week so expectation wise i mean it's been it's been a slow season in a way but I think the slowness is because it's it's building up to this shareholder meeting and really to a lot of conflict resolution and or chaos that I think is going to occur 
if not next week, then the following week. I mean, I, I think that's the buildup, and then the end of the season is going to just be punch after punch, event after event, chaos after chaos. For next week, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Cousin Greg, I think he goes back to Kendall. Okay. I think he it's too predictable for him to fall in line and he has this influence in his voice or in his head from uncle ewan that grandpa grumps that takes him away from logan so i I think we're gonna see kendall's position start to become more formidable but with that said it goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning of the show they have to defeat sandy and stewie so I think there's going to be a a truce, an armistice. I think the Roys are going to come together to beat Sandy and Stewie in the next episode or two. And that's when I think all hell will break loose once they've you know won this proxy battle. But I, I do think the Roys come together. I think at the end of the day, they would rather have control in the family, even if an individual isn't in control, than seed any ground to anybody that's not a, a Roy or married into the family like Tom. Interesting. I think what, what? I think this week we're gonna see we're gonna see more of Tom's cards. We're we're gonna see more of more of his plan, more of his strategy because he he seems too resigned to going to prison because when the FBI showed up he was he was so calm. And maybe that was a a front for the advertisers he was talking to, but he's, he's just looking at, at these prison things. Like, you know, he's clearly upset about it, but he's just so resigned to like, I'm, I guess I'm going to prison. Um, <laughs> and most people in their back to a corner make, make one last play, one, la- one, one last move. And I think Tom is going to go to his, his friend and, and ally, the big guy, Greg, and say, look, Greg, you're going to run theme parks. I may have abused you in the past many, many times and threw water bottles at your head in, in the panic room that wasn't a panic room. Um, Multiple water bottles. And say, look, we need to we need to stick together because he can't trust Shiv because Shiv has already proven that Shiv doesn't care if he goes to prison. Can't trust Logan because he already offered to Logan that he's going to go to jail. And I don't see him and Kendall teaming up. I think it's going to be him and Greg are going to sort of use use their leverage and help Tom get out of this situation where cuz Logan wants Kendall out. I don't maybe Logan doesn't want Kendall to go to prison, but something with Tom is going to happen this week. You know, I the proxy fight is going to that that's going to happen, but I think something with Tom is going to be resolved or just sure, become sure. more clear. So here's my follow-up, Dave. Do you think they go into this? I, I, I agree there's something that's going to happen with Tom. I mean, there's something that's going to happen with all members of the Roy family. Do you think they go into that proxy battle in unison as a family? Or do you think they go in in this splinter cell, different factions of the family have different interests, and you know there, there's not a unified front? I think Kendall doesn't care if it's in the family. I think Kendall just wants to be CEO. So I don't think, so I think Kendall will support Sandy and Stewie if he gets to be CEO. But I think Logan and the rest of the family want to stay in the family 
and um obviously want logan to be the ceo the kids want to become ceos but logan is going to be the the ceo so so logan is looking for a win a victory if he can and kendall i think his motives are more unclear because as we've seen kendall's all over the place he's still a disaster um and he needs he needs help and the only thing that he's ever wanted is to be the ceo of of waystar and until that he's CEO, I don't think he'll ever be able to prove to his dad that he could do it, which is all that he wants in life is to prove to his dad that he can do the top job. Yeah, I mean, he, he I don't think he even wants to be CEO more than he wants just validation from his dad. I mean, yeah. he could run a he could run a bakery in Montana. And if his dad was proud of him, I think Kendall's happy. He just yeah. He wants to be CEO because he wants that validation, and it's just so sad that it will never come. It will. I, I think we could go eleven seasons, and it's still not going to happen. Yeah. Poor Kendall. All right, Jr. It was great. Episode four in the books, line in the middle. Next week, the episode is called um, "The Last Jan- The Last Janitors of, of Idaho." Interesting title. We will see. We will see what happens. Can't can't wait to, to to watch the episode, text about it, and then recap it next week on the on, on the podcast. You and me both, Dave. And as long as we watch and as long as we live, I hope we hear a line this season. Hopefully, this episode that's better than unbalanced love portfolio. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if we hear something better than that, it's been a good episode. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.